We've been sheltering in place for, let me check my calendar. It says this is week 10. I have to check these things because time is playing tricks on me. But meanwhile, we're considering the consequences of being locked down for so long, of revenues drying up, of the fallout of this instant recession. It's starting to look as though one of the government entities that will be hit particularly hard is Michigan's public schools, as if they don't have enough to deal with. This is Facts Matter, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan podcast. Nancy Derringer, Communications Director for the Research Council, and in this podcast, we look at Michigan through a policy lens. Our discussions here are informed by our 104 years of experience doing nonpartisan, fact-based research on policy issues. We hope this podcast will serve as another way for the public to access our work, which is, as always, free and available to all at our website. My guest today is Craig Thiel in Faraway Lansing. Uh, welcome to my socially distanced colleague. Hello. Um, t- today we so today, Craig, we had some really alarming news leak out of Lansing, and that is that Michigan's public schools, uh, both traditional and charter, could be looking at some severe funding cuts as a result of the pandemic. Explain for those listeners who may not be entirely clear on how Michigan schools are funded. Um, explain how that happened. Right. So. In Michigan, uh, your local school district is supported um, by state taxes uh, in a majority sense, as opposed to your local property taxes. And Michigan's kind of unique in that respect, because in most states, the local property tax generates the majority of resources for local um, education. But since 1994, um, state taxes have played the primary role, and those state taxes are uh, sales taxes, income taxes, as well as some some smaller tax uh, that the state collects and then shares with school districts, basically on a per-pupil basis. So when state tax revenues decline, um, that means cuts to K-12, local K-12 budgets. Okay. And in Michigan, it is a sales tax. Right. So the sales tax uh, on retail sales uh, goes into the school aid fund. Um, I think uh, about 75% of the overall sales tax goes into the school aid fund, which then joins these other tax sources to fund the state allocation to local districts. So with the drying up of, you know, shopping and restaurants and all forms of commerce, entertainment, uh, sales tax revenues have gone down. Right. They've, they've really gone down. So uh, really, um, but yeah. yeah, by, by the end of this week, uh, we should have a better idea of the size of that cut, um, after the revenue estimating conference. Um, but if the revenue has fallen enough, uh, schools may not get the full amount of the funding allowance they were promised and budgeted for at the beginning of the school year. Um, that's one thing I just, I learned from you only recently is that, uh, the school aid fund dollars are paid out on a monthly basis throughout the school year, throughout the calendar year, right? Right. A couple things, um, to keep in mind. One, um, 
schools operate on a slightly different uh, timeline than the state does. So schools start their fiscal years, July 1, they run through June 30th. Um, they were notified last summer, um, early summer, what their state allocation was going to be for this year. They budgeted. Um, they've operated um, almost 11 months so far of their 12-month fiscal year, have spent according to those revenue estimates. And here we are in, um, you know, late February, early March, uh, in the midst of a pandemic and seeing an economic recession on the heels of that and seeing the reduction in sales tax revenues along with other state tax revenues, um, you know, drying up and uh, affecting um, the state revenues, which then funnel down, as I described earlier, to the locals. So, you know, they're near the end of their fiscal year and um, the state's still collecting the taxes to support the funding to schools. Um, and there's really uh, little time to affect any type of, uh, you know, budget modifications for schools at this this point in time. Right. For, well, certainly for, for this school year, which is kind of petering out. But um, how will these cuts be distributed across uh, Michigan's um, school districts? Well, there's a process in the state code that speaks to um, whenever the school aid fund is in deficit, and that means, you know, when the resources um, that, that are backing up the, the spending uh, aren't there, um, that the state budget director automatically notifies the, the Michigan legislature that there's this deficit and cuts are required. And the state law says that the cuts will come on a per student prorated basis. So if the reduction is $100 a kid or $200 a kid or $500 a kid, um, the automatic kind of default is this prorated across the board cut to every kid's foundation allowance or per pupil uh, uh, amount of funding that they, they get from the state. Okay. Now, um, you... You just said this. Uh, Michigan distributes its funding um, per enrolled pupil. Um, it comes out to about eight thousand dollars, you know, stuffed in the backpack of each kid as they as they start school. Um, but it's and it's one of those solutions that sounds fair because obviously, if you have more children enrolled, you need more money to um, to teach them, and and you know we can we can figure that out. That's pretty common sense, but um, it's it fails to acknowledge that not every student has the same needs and doesn't cost uh, the same amount to educate. So let's talk about some of the factors that make some children more expensive to teach than others. Can you run through right. a few? Yeah. So that, that per pupil grants kind of intended to, you know, fund every student equally, um, uh, regardless of you know their background, their learning needs, uh, the costs that the district um, uh, incurs to run its program, and uh, that per pupil grant amount, like you said, is about eight thousand dollars. And when it needs to be cut in this proration or uh, automatic uh, reduction uh, process, it cuts every grant 
equally. And um, from the standpoint of students who are having a challenge uh, reading, uh, learning to speak English, kids who are from a uh, economically disadvantaged household that uh, has um, you know, challenges uh, not just in school, but are outside of school that impact their ability to learn in school, all of these factors uh, affect their learning and therefore the, the resources that are needed to, to help them. And when we cut that, that grant, we're not just cutting the grant of the child who's on you know, task and who's on a projected uh, grade path, but we're cutting the grant that goes to these students who are having challenges reading, learning English, um, students with special needs, whether or not they're physical or cognitive um, needs, uh, all of those kids get cut, uh, their funding gets cut equally as those students that don't have those learning challenges. Right. And I think you, you, you recently posted a blog about this in the last few days where you talked a little bit about the, um, the thinking in education circles about uh, the difference between um, adequacy and equity, I believe. I don't think you use those terms, but I think that's kind of how it, it, um, how it shakes out, which is the idea that every, every district should get the same amount for every child um, is one of those things. That's, that's equity, but it may not be adequate to teach um, very poor children who have special challenges or children from very poor homes, rather. Um, it's not adequate to teach kids who are learning English as a second language, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how would we go about in a time like this with such a severe um, funding cut you know, on the horizon? How would we go about cutting in such a way that we don't disproportionately burden those students in those districts dealing with those students who have very significant learning challenges? Well, it's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, don't have a simple solution, but, you know, we did make some suggestions in a blog that uh, we recently put up. But um, just thinking back um, kind of uh, the t over time, the Michigan funding model has been one that was trying to right a serious wrong you know, 30 years ago, which was great disparities in how much just base funding that each district got. Um, and so uh, over time, we've slowly narrowed that gap between those high spending districts and those low spending districts. And the focus has been on, you know, as you mentioned, just equal distribution of funds. Um, and and that's, a, that's a notable um, uh, policy goal. That's something that Michigan set out to do. And I would say, you know, is, is well into achieving that. Um, but what that ignores is, is what you speak to, which is, you know, the added costs of, of, addre of addressing the, the needs of these other students that um, go above that base funding amount. And in recent years, we've seen a concerted effort um, in uh, Lansing in terms of the state aid budget, school aid budget, to put additional dollars into at-risk student funding, special education, um, 
kids who are early um, learners and uh, learning to read and having difficulty and and upping our third grade uh, reading uh, scores, uh, no, noting that that is just such a key foundational piece for, you know, what they do um, in the rest of their their time in the public schools. Um, so there's been this effort to kind of shift, if you will, away from the singular focus on just getting equal dollars to every kid to there are some kids who need additional resources and we should attend to those. And the point in our, our uh, blog was that by just relying on the blunt instrument of, you know, across the board cuts to deal with these uh, budget shortfalls really uh, works at uh, cross purposes with this focus on, you know, funding kids based on their need as opposed to just giving everyone the same amount of money. Um, so the, you know, when we're adding money, there's been a, again, a focus to, to uh, see that there's different costs in the system. And I think the same logic should apply when you're pulling dollars out because of the budget shortfall. We shouldn't necessarily uh, pull out the same dollars for kids who have um, special educational needs um, as those that, you know, aren't burdened by those, those same challenges. Exactly. So, okay. Now, I understand uh, we're still talking a few days ahead of um, the revenue estimating conference, and we don't know exactly um, what these cuts will be. And we also don't know what they're going to look like because it's up to individual districts to balance their own budgets. Um, do you have any special knowledge or, <laughs> or um, prognostication um, <laughs> ability to kind of guess how they will be carried out? I mean, most of the money that we spend on education goes to pay teachers. It's a, you know, it's a personnel issue. Um, do you think we might see teacher layoffs, um, school years shortened? It's, it's going to be hard to do this. How do you think it, it might be carried out? Right. Um, I, I, I think that's uh, something we don't know. Uh, we will wait and see what the, the actual numbers are on, on Friday in terms of what you know, the size of the shortfall is. I, I should note that, you know, we talked about this blunt instrument of cross the board cuts, and that's the default method. Um, also within state law is the option for the legislature to step in within 30 days of that um, uh, shortfall notification uh, to step in and propose cuts um, of an equal amount, but distributed differently. And that's what we were suggesting that the lawmakers consider um, as an alternative to these across the board cuts, um, and then take a much more refined uh, look at where um, the budget could be cut so as not to, uh, you know, harm those students that are most in need of, of the state resources that we're providing. So, you know, again, Friday, we'll find out, you know, how much um, uh, the deficit looks like in the school aid budget. It'll also set the clock for the legislature to act in terms of uh, offering an alternative to the, um, the per pupils across the board cuts. And at the same time, it'll also give school districts some idea of the, you know, the magnitude of the cuts that they might be having to implement. The, the, the disconnect in our system is that the state 
levies the money, collects all the revenue, sends it down to the locals, and then the locals have to manage within the, the guidelines and the parameters uh, of the resources that are provided by the state. They don't have an ability to raise additional taxes to make up for the shortfall that the, the state is sending to them. And, you know, how each district deals with it is, is going to vary. Um, upon reflection, looking back at the, the last recession, we saw, yes, reductions in force. We saw layoffs. We saw programs cut. We saw services outsourced. Um, we saw, uh, you know, some service uh, consolidation across districts trying to be more efficient. Um, it kind of runs the gamut. Um, but the, the, the difference between the, the last recession and this recession was uh, schools were able to tap into some uh, major sources of federal resources to kind of cushion the blow um, mm -hmm. that they were being dealt, that was being dealt to them by the state revenue decline. So far, those resources haven't um, shown up on the radar of, of schools um, in, in this recession. Wow. So uh, we understand um, that the recovery of this economy uh, will probably take some time. I mean, I've, I've heard two models. Uh, the wildly optimistic one is the, is the V-shaped recovery, and the um, less so model is, I think they call it the Nike swoosh, <laughs> which is, you know, the, the drop and then sort of the slow climb back. But, um, and obviously we don't know which one is going to be, or if it's going to be something else entirely or somewhere in between. But um, any guesses as to when schools might be made whole or if they ever will be made whole? I've, I've heard that, that our spending on education has not kept pace with inflation over the years. And if you adjust the, uh, the dollars spent, we're actually spending less on K-12 education than we did in, in recent years. Well, the numbers are um, Michigan has been increasing uh, funding for education basically since 2012. And those increases have been in excess of inflation. Um, some okay. would argue um, it's still not enough, uh, especially in light of, of you know, the academic um, achievement of some of our students, as well as kind of the, the needs, as we talked about earlier, the special uh, needs of some students in terms of their um, uh, resources and, and learning in s districts, um, you know, the, the, the reduction uh, in, in revenue and therefore, you know, budgets is going to be steep. There's no doubt about it. And um, the way uh, state revenues increase um, coming out of a recession uh, depends on, the, as you mentioned, depends on the nature of the recovery. If it's a sharp recovery, you might get a bounce back and get back on trend. Um, most uh, economists uh, are not predicting a, a super sharp recovery um, and more of a gradual climb, which suggests to me that, you know, uh, this is not just a short-term one-time hit to school budgets. It's going to be uh, kind of a reset at a lower level and, and then a very gradual incremental increase, likely, you know, increases that are well below inflation um, for the foreseeable future. Um, I should also mention that because, you know, school funding um, is done at the state level, um, you know, it depends what priorities put on 
um, K through 12 education in the mix of all other um, services uh, that the state funds, whether it's higher education or, you know, health uh, within uh, Department of uh, Health and Human Services, programs that are run um, within the Department of Corrections or, you know, just general operating of the state government. Uh, K-12 is, you know, a part of that, that larger uh, fiscal picture. It's a big piece of it, too, already. Um, the question is, you know, uh, when Lansing's deciding where to allocate the resources it does have available, you know, where do the dollars go to support K-12? Do they go to some other uh, priority? Right. So, okay. Okay. Anything you'd like to add? Uh, no, we'll have uh, a better sense next week, and uh, we will, as always, be keeping uh, people uh, informed uh, via our blog, our Twitter, and all our other uh, uh, media uh, platforms. All of our channels, and we're we're easily we're easily found. So, okay, well, thanks a lot, Craig. I really appreciate it. And um, as we've been telling each other lately, stay safe, stay well. So, all right. Until we see you again. Okay. And with apologies for some of the audio issues, I, that will do it for this edition of Facts Matter, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan podcast. Remember, the council operates as a public resource, and all of our papers, along with blogs, op-eds, and other resources, are available for download on our website, crcmich.org. We operate as a nonprofit, thanks to Michigan's corporations, foundations, and generous individuals like you. If you'd like to make a donation, go to our website, crcmich.org, and click the Get Involved tab on the homepage. We also welcome feedback, which you can send via email to crcmich at crcmich.org. I'm Nancy Derringer, and, and until next time, I leave you with this observation by our founding president, Lent Upson. The right to criticize government is also an obligation to know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm.